A reading from Psalm 71. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been as important to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O oh God, be not far from me. O oh my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed. With scorn and disgrace may they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and st I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Your righteousness, O oh God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O oh God, who is like you? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me. The word of the Lord. Be to God. Our New Testament reading is from Romans chapter 10. <clears throat> For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the heart with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, 
bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, the word of the Lord. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them, and he said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. And so they came, and they saw where he was staying, and they, they, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. For one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the gift of coming together with the family and body of Christ that we can worship you and receive from you and be thankful for your word. I ask that you bless uh, this time and help us to um, hear from you. Amen. You can be seated. So I am excited. I get to start out my sermon with another story from my wife today. Uh, so Liz, when Liz was in eighth grade, um, her youth group retreat had a guest speaker. This guest speaker spoke um, with lots of passion and lots of force about evangelism, which is just sharing your faith in Jesus with others in your life. Uh, and Liz was still pretty new to her faith in so many ways at this point, but she really wanted to do this. She was growing in Christ. She loved him. She wanted to be a way to figure out sharing him with others more. Um, so she was thinking about her friends and who can she talk to. And she, uh, one particular friend came to mind. Her name was Marie. But as Liz was thinking about how am I going to talk with Marie about this, uh, she realized that she really wasn't good in any way with confrontation. So even just trying to bring it up out of the blue, not knowing responses was terrifying and didn't seem like it would work. So she decided she would just write a nice letter, just something simple and honest, uh, maybe kind of quick, that just kind of talked a little about faith in Jesus and invited her to a youth group, things like that. So she started working on that letter and writing out all the things that Jesus had meant to her, all the ways she'd been changed and ministered to by him and inviting Marie to explore faith. And she wrote and rewrote that letter multiple times uh, until it was finally perfectly right. And it ended up being eight pages long as she had it. She told me that, and she grimaced uh, when she told me that part. She was relieved it was over, but she was so nervous, and she, she gave it to Marie, though, and she had such high hopes that would be the start of something f for them to get to talk about. Instead, Marie never spoke with her again. 
after that. Liz, looking back on it at this point, is like, there was just too much in that letter. It would, if she or her parents got a hold of it, they were probably just scared, like, what is wrong with this girl? Stay away from her kind of thing. But of course, that was not the outcome Liz had wanted or expected in any way. Maybe if she'd had some more support and wisdom from others, it could have looked a little differently. Um, but I even told Liz this. Liz, it's still a really good thing to do. It was good you were trying to share your faith. You were trying to show your friend Jesus. That matters. That is always good, even when it is hard in so many ways. So for our fall sermon series, we are actually working through our mission here at Church of the Cross and then also our values. We're not simply just explaining them, um, but we're using those as starting points for thinking about the things that we are called to, those things that we love. And if you're interested in more of those, they're just on the inside cover of the bulletin. You can look ahead at all of them. Today, we're finishing up on our mission. The first two sermons were about first encountering Christ and then being changed by Christ. And so today is about introducing Christ to others. And this is really just our way of saying that as a church and as people who are part of a church who are following Jesus, we have to tell other people about Jesus. We share our faith. I'm guessing, though, as we get to this part of the mission, that for many of us, this is our least favorite part of the mission. You know, the first two parts are all about what Christ is doing. Now we come to that part where we do something. It's not, though, it's not that we're lazy as we come to this. It's just that it can sometimes be hard to share our faith in Christ. I'm sure we have known many different times where we've tried to share our faith and it did not go at all as we had hoped or that we've been praying for people sometimes for years and years and we're trying to introduce them to Christ over and over, but it doesn't seem to matter. Or there's some of us who have um, really felt forced or guilt-tripped into trying to do this in a way that's really uncomfortable or just not genuine. This is, though, a very important call, but it weighs heavy on us in so many different ways. So I hope today that we can find some encouragement and maybe even a bit of uh, equipping here as we continue to think about how do I do this that is so central to our lives more. So first, before anything else, um, we actually need to realize that this call to introduce Christ to others, to share our faith and tell people about Jesus, this is not just something that you know, we do out there in the world and we use that big word evangelism for. It certainly includes that, but it's not only that. As Christians in the church, we introduce people to Christ all the time. Really, we do it over and over again. Teaching and preaching, reading and proclaiming the scripture out loud during services or classes, sharing testimonies about Christ's work in our lives, simply sharing and talking about Jesus in our small groups. These are all ways that we are introducing Christ to others. Even communion, really, especially communion. The liturgy every Sunday tells us again the story of Christ and salvation, and it brings us to him again as we come forward. And those who are serving the bread and the wine tell us of Christ as they offer us his body broken and his blood shed for us. Introducing others to Christ happens throughout our lives, here when we're together in so many ways as we go out. So as we think about how we introduce Christ to others throughout our lives, I actually found our Romans passage today. Um, had a real nice helpful reminder or lesson around this. It seems very foundational for me as I think about sharing Jesus with others. So if you want to turn to that in your bulletin or your Bible, that would work great. You might remember we spent the summer preaching through Romans, um, but as we were doing that, we were actually following the lectionary readings, so this passage wasn't included, which works out really great this morning because it was perfect for what I'm trying to talk about today. So it's like a nice little gift in, in those things. But as we read this passage, Romans, already this morning, you probably noticed Paul is talking about salvation in so many big ways here. This is beautiful. But as we see Paul talking about this, turning to Jesus, receiving salvation, uh, it is just such a simple thing he talks about. We confess that Jesus is Lord, we believe he's alive, and we can be saved. 
It's all about faith. Having faith in Jesus and all that God has done through him is enough. And that's because, as Paul's really explained throughout the whole book of Romans, God is the one who has done everything that is necessary to make salvation available, to defeat evil and death, to forgive our sins, to adopt us into his family. God has done all of it. So all that's necessary for us to be saved is faith in Christ. He is Lord. He is alive. And on top of that, the great news of this salvation is that everyone who believes can be saved. This good news of God's gracious love is for all people, Jews and Gentiles. No one who believes in Jesus will be put to shame. Everyone who calls on his name will be saved. This is, of course, the foundational answer to, well, why do we introduce Christ to others? Because in Jesus and no one other else, there is salvation, there is life, and that's for everyone. It's not, for a special, it's not like a special deal for a select few. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's why Paul here is emphasizing the need to proclaim the gospel so much. The truth of all that Jesus has done and offers us by faith, it has to be shared. So he says, how then will they call on him whom they've not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? Again, this is why we are introducing Christ to others, to bring it out there, to explain the salvation to them. But actually just preaching the gospel isn't quite the main point of this passage this morning. It's obviously deeply important. Um, but Paul's main point here, it's actually kind of twofold, and it's all about the power of the gospel message, and it's about how we receive that gospel message. And I think it's in these things that we actually really find uh, the encouragement that we need here. So first, let's think about the great power of the gospel. Of course, the power of the gospel, it's not in the words we use. It's the one who we proclaim in the gospel. It's Jesus. But Paul's really wanted to emphasize that here, just show how much that's true. Uh, It's not just a message about Jesus. It is Jesus himself at work. That's kind of his point in these opening verses in the text, at least verses 6 and 7. I know as we read those, those are a little bit weird. Paul takes these questions here from Deuteronomy, and now he's using them uh, to show us something very important of Christ. It's actually at the very core of what we believe. So he says, who will ascend into heaven? Then he kind of clarifies that saying, Really, this means who's going into heaven to get Jesus, or who's going to descend into the abyss, clarified as uh, to bring Christ up from the dead. Again, those are weird questions in a lot of ways. What he's asking really is just, where is Jesus? Where do we go to find him? Do we have to go into heaven and search to find Jesus like he's hiding in a corner somewhere and bring him down? Do we have to search into the abyss and take him up from death and bring him out to us? Now, do notice right away that actually at the beginning of verse 6, Paul says that actually by faith, we don't ask these questions. These are questions for those who do not yet believe. These are those who are still wondering about Jesus. They aren't the questions for those of us who've been saved. We know the answer. The whole point here is we don't need to go looking for Jesus in heaven because because he's already come down to us. We don't have to go try to pull Jesus up from death because he is already risen and he is alive. Jesus isn't out there somewhere where we can't find him or can't know him. Paul means for us to hold on to the fact that Jesus has made himself available to us and he is right here. And this is the power of the gospel. This is why the word of faith, the gospel, is so near and in our hearts. Because Jesus is so near and in our hearts. The gospel isn't a proclamation of someone far away, untouchable, unreachable. It's not a proclamation of someone long dead. It is the message of the risen Savior right here, present throughout our lives. 
we don't share about him like we share about anyone else because the risen Lord is actually the source and power of our message. Paul wants us to remember that proclaiming the gospel is so important, but it's not our work. It's not our power that makes it matter. It may be our words. It is Christ at work that makes all the difference. And Paul's second point here is really closely related to this, and it's just that the gospel then needs to be received by faith. This is core to the whole passage. Over and over again, it's about faith. But even notice near the end of this part in verse 16, after Paul has talked about the importance of preaching, but then he says, but they've not all obeyed the gospel. They haven't all turned in faith to it as he continues to talk more about how people must respond in faith. So certainly we must proclaim the gospel. We have to introduce Christ to others, but people must respond with faith to it and not all do. Paul is thinking, especially at this point, about his own people, Israel, here. He wants them to have Christ, to receive his salvation, but so many did not turn to Jesus. And Paul doesn't think, well, that's because I, I did something wrong, I said the wrong thing, I could have done better in all of this. He knows that only, we can only proclaim the gospel, and that it is, the rest of it's out of our hands. So these two points the great power of Christ in the gospel, the necessity of a faithful response, I think those form a reminder that I really needed when I think about introducing Christ to others. Um, We are just called to introduce Christ to others. We do that with the power of God on our side, but that's all we can do. Sometimes I think we can get unintentionally stuck thinking that, you know, we don't just introduce Christ to others, but now we start to think and act like I have to have some big part in all the next stuff. We have to make the encounter with Christ happen. We have to make people be changed by Christ. But that's not the point. Christ does the encounter. Christ brings change. We only bring people to him. That's why I really like our gospel reading this morning. I find it a bit amusing just to start with. These disciples are so flummoxed by Jesus, and the best they can come up with is, I don't know, where are you staying? Um, What an awkward question. Uh, But look what Andrew does here. He goes to find his brother Simon, and he tells him about Jesus. That's all he does. He just says, hey, Simon, I think we found the Messiah. And then he brings him to Jesus. And then see what happens? Simon encounters Jesus. Christ sees him and knows him immediately, and then he immediately changes his name. Just like that, Peter has encountered Christ. He's been changed by him. All Andrew did was provide the invitation. So again, Christ is the power of the gospel. He's the one at work. Our call is just to introduce others to him. Let him work. And God is so faithful to be at work in all of our efforts. Think again about all the different ways we can introduce Christ to others, even among ourselves at church. When we proclaim the scriptures, Christ is there. The scriptures offer us that encounter with Christ. When we receive communion, Jesus is truly there in the bread and the wine. When we offer these things to you, we're introducing you to Christ. But then as you take them, you encounter him. You are changed by him every time. And when we teach and preach, when we share our stories of Jesus in our lives, we introduce Christ to each other knowing it's Christ at work in this. In my senior year of high school, um, it was a group of of guy friends from a youth group. Uh, We decided we wanted to start meeting together weekly um, to pray. Um, We started doing that, and then we invited the younger guys from youth group, and they brought some friends who weren't part of our church together, and we'd, we'd meet once a week with them as well to pray. And of course, during those times, you know, of course we'd goof off a little bit, but you know, Then we would share about our lives. We'd talk about maybe struggles or questions. We would maybe read some scripture together. Nothing was ever planned, though. Um, But we encountered Christ there. 
One time especially, it was near Easter, and we were reading the scriptures about the death and resurrection of Jesus. We were talking about that, proclaiming his victory again. And in our prayers that time, we encountered Christ like never before. We were all weeping. We didn't have any clue what we were doing in any of this. But in these simple actions, we were bringing others to Jesus. And of course, he was powerfully at work in ways that we didn't ask for or expect. So that's our big foundational reminder. All that we are called to do, all that we can do, is introduce others to Christ. Now, this, of course, involves how we live in so many ways. Our actions should demonstrate our faith. It also involves countless prayers for those who do not yet know Jesus. And then it involves our words. Paul's very clear here. People have to hear the word. If it's not spoken or written or typed, it remains unclear. But even then, no matter how well or how poorly it seems like it might have went to us, it's all up to Christ. The encounter is Christ's work, not ours. Do be encouraged, though, because the same Jesus who saved us is the one that we're bringing people to. And he's full of love and mercy. He wants everyone for himself far more than we do. Now, I want to shift gears a bit at this point. I want to try to consider a little bit of practical help for us as we think about how we introduce Christ to others. It's really vital that we remember who's actually doing that work, but I also find it can be kind of nice to have some ideas about what that might look like as I take those steps to say things about Jesus with others. So it was about a week and a half ago, I actually got to attend um, what turned out to be pleasantly, surprisingly maybe, a really helpful teaching about evangelism, about sharing others, Jesus with others. Uh, the teacher was uh, Reverend Dr. James Chung, um, and he's actually been working with a campus ministry in varsity for basically his entire adult life. He's now a vice president there. He oversees um, evangelism and discipleship ministries, among other things. So he was sharing about helpful ways to teach the gospel, especially explaining out of his own research, but his own experiences and trials and things at InterVarsity. And his main discussion um, was about key spiritual questions that people have. Um, but then very specifically, it was the way those questions are actually emphasized differently by different generations. He explained that broadly, each generation tends to ask one question before all others. Now, generation talk is always broad. We're talking about big groups of people, but that there tends to be a way that different generations hold to those questions, and they want to see those questions adequately addressed or answered before they really want to talk about other things, before they want to consider the other questions in that. So I'm actually going to share those questions with you in just a moment. Uh, I found the whole idea really helpful. Uh, but before that, I just was going to explain out. At one point, Dr. Chung was saying, the thing is, we really love sharing good news with people. When something good happens to us, we want to tell people about it. It's second nature. The only place that we can bump into problem there is when we think the good news we have, um, they don't understand it as good news or they won't receive it as good news. Sometimes it can happen like that with the gospel. We know it is good news. It's been so good for us, but it can be hard to figure out how is this person going to receive or hear what I'm saying. So as he offered us these questions, the idea was just this is a way that we can talk that helps maybe pinpoint what someone is looking at as far as good news a little bit more because Christ is that good news and he answers these questions. So here we go. These questions are, as he explained them, first he was talking about the boomer generation. You can always waffle a little bit on dates, but he put boomers as born between 46 and 64. And the big question is especially, what is true? So as we introduce others from this generation to Christ, we might be thinking, well, how do I explain to them the truth of Jesus? I know that one can feel a bit hard for some of us. We aren't always so certain of the facts and arguments as we might like to be. So I'm just going to offer you one quick resource today. Uh, I would consider Go Find um, Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright because he's a really good discussion 
about why the resurrection is historical. It breaks down all the arguments and things. That could be a good place to start for people. And then considering Gen Xers, um, some of whom are right in front of us this morning, uh, born 65 to 80 is Gen Xers. Um, yeah, yeah huh, that was the wrong way, Christian. No. The spiritual question is, what is real? And for this generation, Dr. Chun actually explained um, the big shift that was happening in InterVarsity and Ministries, because they went from um, having so much success with talking about arguments for faith, explaining the faith, getting that truth thing, and then with Gen X, they started having to change, and they had their success with people sharing how the gospel had mattered in their lives, how they had been changed and challenged by Christ, how it was real in their lives. So as we consider Gen Xers, we can think about how we share our faith as real to us, how Jesus has challenged us, shaped us, helped us. Um, that's a great way to start answering this question. Then we come to millennials, those born 81 to 96. And the primary spiritual question for us millennials is, what is good? Um, we tend to want to know that something's going to make a difference, that it will do good. So if I talk with other millennials who don't know Jesus yet, I can share how Jesus shapes my response in the world, um, what it looks like to love my neighbor, how faith has to have action that's lived out. It's interesting, again, in InterVarsity, they found that their uh, ministry with millennials worked best when they included them in outreach, um, like mission trip things, doing something good. When they went out and were doing those things that felt practical and good, then they were very uh, open to learning and participating and figuring out more about Jesus. And finally, we come to the last uh, big generation at the moment is Gen Z, which I find a very boring name. Uh, but Gen Z is 97 to 2012. That's our teenagers at church right now. Uh, primary question they have is what is beautiful? Um, I feel really glad that I'm at Church of the Cross when I come to that question, because I feel like I've learned something about what is beautiful by being here, that we do this in so many ways. But as we're talking about uh, Jesus with this generation, that desire for beauty can be met with an explanation of, in some ways, the wonder of Christ, an invitation into that wonder. It can be met with the transcendent reality of God. We have a beauty that is above and before all else, that everything else pales in comparison to. Again, though, those are all primary spiritual questions. Everyone's asking them all in some way, sometimes just with different priorities. I think it's, I've been finding it helpful just to consider these for my own faith. So I get to think about how great our Lord really is, how Jesus really is the truth. While he is real, he is good and truly beautiful. Jesus is the answer we're all looking for. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. So a few weeks ago, uh, my wife and I, we were, uh, ended up watching a war movie called uh, Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, the ridge in question uh, was a key part of the battle for Okinawa in World War II. And it was actually this elevated plateau the Japanese soldiers had dug in along. And to get there, the American soldiers were climbing this 400-foot cliff that they had put like uh, uh, rope ladders and cargo nets and stuff up on to do that. The movie isn't so much about the battle per se, though, as it was trying to focus on um, one of the medics there. His name was Desmond Doss. Doss was committed to support the troops and save life. That's why he became a medic. But he was actually a conscientious objector. He would not use firearms or kill anyone. He was a man of deep faith in Jesus, and this was how he felt he was going to live that out. Well, during that battle of Hacksaw Ridge, the Americans made some progress, and then the battalion that was up there that Doss was part of, got, they had such a brutal counterattack against them that they had to just rush down the cliff, climb down those ropes. Only a third of the battalion made it back down in their retreat. But Doss actually stayed on top, uh, and for 12 hours, he continued to find wounded soldiers uh, and bring them back to the cliff and lower them down carefully before going out to find more. He's credited with saving 75 men that way, though his battalion says he saved more like 100. Um, but after lowering each man down, Doss would pray, just one more, Lord, just one more. 
before he ran out to find another soldier. It was such a striking moment in the movie, so much emotion around it. It was hard to believe that was actually what happened. And at the end of the movie, they actually played a clip of the real-life Doss in his older age explaining that story, explaining his prayer of just one more Lord before he'd run out, despite the risk, despite those he'd already found, many he'd already found and brought to safety. He just kept praying, one more Lord. I want that to be my prayer. Not one more saved, that is God's work, but one more Lord, may I tell one more about you. Can I introduce one more person to you? Or I like to quote also from our psalmist, even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation. Let's pray. Just one more, Lord, until old age and gray hairs and even beyond, may we keep proclaiming your might to those we know and those to come. Um, Help us and strengthen us. Show us how we can keep living this out and loving others and proclaiming you, but give us that faith of your great power always at work um, in us and through us to bring people to you. Amen.